Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Borat, subsequent movie film, delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make-benefit one glorious nation of Kazakhstan, and I'm happy to be joined by my friend Graham Hall to talk all things Borat. Graham, thanks for being here. Very nice. I like <laughs> <laughs> yes, hey man, thanks for having me. You know, big fan, big fan. You know, obviously of of this one, and I kind of got to say, I wish they had gone with the original title. Um, you know, just throwing out the Michael Pence angle right away. But uh, if you had told me six months ago that one of the few bright spots of 2020 would be that we got a Borat sequel, I would not have believed you because this year has just kind of been all bad. Yeah, maybe you would have like just had something to look forward to throughout much of the pandemic uh, and just had something to like, you know, work towards and look forward to. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty cool that they all did this covertly and we will talk about that. We'll call it Borat. Subsequent movie film is kind of the working uh, brief title. So we'll refer to it like that. But it is the sequel to 2006's Borat Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan's. Sasha Baron Cohen's movie that is the kind of his brainchild character that first debuted on the Ali G show and he made the movie in 2006 and is now revisiting the character. Uh, the 2006 movie featured his character Borat Sangiev uh, as a Kazakhstani news reporter that was sent to America to learn different things to help improve his homeland. But uh, within the within the new 2020 released movie, uh, his character has been in jail for 14 years working on a basically doing prison labor because he brought great embarrassment to Kazakhstan. And he's brought back out of retirement because Kazakhstan's leader uh, wants to impress wants to impress Donald Trump and become a strongman leader by delivering him a gift, which uh, is originally going to be uh, a monkey who is a very big deal in Kazakhstan, which they refer to as both a sex bribe but also a, the monkey her, apparently holds a cabinet position. Uh, Borat's daughter, who he doesn't know, sneaks in in the monkey's place. The monkey meets an untimely demise, and the movie is uh, a framing device for the movie is largely uh, Borat and his daughter, you know, him preparing to give her as a gift to, like Graham said, Michael Pence. It turns into Rudolph Giuliani, which has become its own story within the movie over the last couple weeks, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But it's largely about uh, him preparing her to be the gift. But as uh, the original Borat did, this has a lot of different uh, digressions and uh, scenarios and pranks within it that uh, obviously go to a larger meaning. Uh, I asked Graham last week if he wanted to talk about this, and thinking that I had a hunch that he might be a Borat fan, but then Graham responded and said, I would love to because I've seen the original a hundred times and I'm a huge Borat fan. So I guess knowing that, Graham, where I want to start is to ask you, I had actually not revisited the original Borat since I saw it when I, when I was in high school. So I knew I was seeing it as like a much different person than I did the first time because I saw it around the time of its release. And I think I obviously uh, watching it as an adult, you're going to take much different things from it than you did as a 15 year old. And you are two years younger than me. So I'm wondering, uh, what was your initial uh, thoughts when you, if you can think way back to the first time you ever saw the 2006 Borat, and how has your relationship to that movie changed since? Because it seems like it is something you have revisited uh, on a fairly regular basis. Well, I got to say, I was a little bit, like you said, a little bit too young for the allergy show, which even in the early 2000s, around 2002, 2003, mm -hmm. and by then I was only getting. You know, I guess I'd seen some South Park by then, but I really wasn't super familiar with, I guess you could say, 
culturally relevant, naughty television <laughs> in a sense. And, and even to this day, the Ali G show is pretty impossible to, to find and stream. You and I were talking about it before. The only way that you could do it is, I guess, buying the DVDs. It hasn't been put, put on Blu-ray. I mean, you can see even worse movies in better format than, than something like the Ali G show, which is, in my opinion, a travesty because it, like the Chappelle show, in a sense, it is so relevant still even to this day and has been done in various different ways and influenced other shows, whether it's Nathan for you, which is a show I highly recommend people check out if, if they're interested in Sasha Baron Cohen's type yeah, of comedy. They but share some DNA for sure. They absolutely do. And I, I think it's a travesty in the streaming age that it's not more widely available, but maybe that is by design because the way that Borat works is the fact that we're sitting here in 2020 and people like myself and you can have these formative experiences with this type of media. And the only way it works is with people not having those type of experiences and his way of still tricking people and playing that role is genius in a sense. Absolutely. And I think I realized that at the time when I was 13 and that's why I was absolutely locked in. And, and while Bruno wasn't as good of a movie, I, I absolutely have these memories of being a 13 year old, seeing Borat repeatedly over and over, partly because it was taboo. And I hate to say it, but sadly I didn't understand the full cultural commentary that it was attempting to make, but it was this movie that was intelligent and naughty at the same time. And hmm. I think as people have seen in the last 15 years, that is extremely hard to come by and why there's still demand for a sequel. And the fact that there's this demand and this era of mystique that is required for it to work and it can still work and be impressive kind of astounds me. And I guess it shouldn't kind of astound me because we've seen how the right has been tricked by Sasha Baron Cohen before you go back to who is America who is America? Great show. I thought it was tremendous that Showtime funded that and that he pulled that off as well that he, that he did. And some of those scenes in this documentary, I, I felt could have been a documentary in the sequel could have been right out of who is America season two, the, the blood moon scene could have easily been out of who season two. And the fact that Sasha Baron Cohen's comedy has worked so well for two decades is absolutely a sign of his genius yeah i'll say i i, I already had plans to go and rewatch the first borat just because i knew it had been a while since i seen it if i was gonna do a podcast on it i knew i needed to and it was on amazon prime unfortunately left i think last yesterday uh that's it's, it's the home of the, the sequel though uh and when the gram's like oh no i've seen it a hundred times i was like all right i need to watch it again to really learn to really learn up on it and I, I like you. I maybe wasn't fully aware of like all the social underpinnings and actually what Sasha Baron Cohen's point of view was that he was probably trying to get across. And I just wasn't really fully aware of that on my first viewing way back when I was fifteen. And I, 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 I but I, I was I knew enough to understand like this is technically impressive that he pulled this off and got these people to sit down with him and got into these various rooms. And yeah, the fifteen year old of me is gonna laugh when he's like wrestling with his like naked with his fat producer or whatever that was also just going to appeal to me but as i watched it again i was like oh wow this is actually kind of genius because the one thing i definitely didn't pick up on the first time i saw it was the scenes in kazakhstan and how that wasn't 
him making fun of Kazakhstan. It's him making fun of the way that our country thinks of countries like that. And I was like, oh, this serves even more of a purpose than I recalled. And I had a really, I just had even a greater respect in retrospect for the original movie because I, I, I understood that that had more meaning than I had given it originally. And the, both of them made me laugh on rewatch. I was like, oh, this still holds up for me. It's not just something that only a 15 year old would laugh at. This stuff is like, legitimate funny legitimately funny so it's pretty cool that like his humor as someone that's been in the public eye for 20 years now like you said it still holds up for sure yeah you know part of me worries that someone who is naive as most 15 year olds are can listen to it and, and unfortunately laugh at the topical value of the humor and i do think in a sense that it takes some historical knowledge or societal context to understand the intelligence of what we're saying, you know, what, what Sasha Baron Cohen is commentating on, because otherwise it, it can be a dangerous thing in a sense. I'm, I'm absolutely there with people who, who, who understand it, it takes, I, I think some responsibility in watching this to understand what he's going for. Anyone though, who has paying attention to politics in the, in the past four years, I think has, understood naturally how the ideology and, and the, the plot behind the Borat character has taken a turn towards uh, the, the Republican figure. And, and even with who is America, you know, you, you, that's not necessarily Borat, but I, I necessarily think that all of Solomon's characters are extensions of him um, trying to, as most journalists seek to accomplish, reveal this other side of America necessarily. And the Borat character, because it's quote unquote ignorant in a sense and comes from an ignorant place, makes other people in America comfortable with displaying their ignorance that they often only hide at home. And seeing that loudly portrayed on TV 14 years ago, I think in retrospect, we can look back and be like, wow, we should have known how horrible America was 15 years ago. You know, people today, I have these talks with my parents, and I'm sure you're right there with me, where they say, wow, who knew? Who knew that America was so divisive? Well, pieces like Borat and Ali G Show and, and other pieces like that, and this is funny saying this is two white people, honestly, that we're just realizing how ignorant America really is, and that speaks to, I think, our, our privilege in society, but America has always been divided on racial lines. And I, I think you have to give Sasha Baron Cohen for giving, for making a lot of people see it who unfortunately hadn't, hadn't seen it before. Yeah. I'm glad you made that point because that was the next thing I was going to ask you is that a lot of people are like, did we need another Borat movie? And I'm not so much interested in asking you that direct question because I mean, we're really bored right now. We need lots of things and there's entertainment value of nothing else in this. But so I was more interested in asking you what you think you got out of this that uh, was any different from what you got out of the original Borat. And as someone that's rewatched both has watched both movies, the original and the sequel twice in the last week, I think the biggest thing I took from it was that for the most part, I think what's interesting about the first one is that like, he kind of has to try for like maybe a minute or two to like, dig in when he's talking to these people and then get them to say something like very ignorant. Like he baits them into it as Borat by like uh, displaying Borat's own ignorance and then they feel comfortable and lulled into like saying something pretty offensive. And what I think is pretty fascinating about Borat's subsequent movie film is that it's, we're at a different point in our country now where people are like, 
uh, almost numb to it and uh, indifferent to a lot of the different things that uh, a lot of the different ignorance and xenophobia and homophobia and racism that uh, is unfortunately or it's not even like it went from being a latent thing in the, to a patent thing where it was just like a latent underpinning around our country where he could like dig it out of people in the first one to now it's just right there on the surface. It's almost like we've accepted it as part of like what we deal with. So when he tells a cake maker to like write Jews will not replace us on it, she just does it without blinking an eye. And someone gives him a high five when he's like, oh, I heard you guys like these cages in your country. High five. The guy just gives him a high five. And it's that's the biggest difference to me in these two movies is that you see like how it's just become something that like people are either one comfortably just like displaying that kind of bigotry very openly and in passing without it even being a, a big surprise revelation when Borat gets someone to say something like that, or that like they don't even blink when something like totally offensive is said by him, which I think is uh, really impressive. And or I don't want to say impressive, but it's really telling. No, it definitely is. And, and there are a lot of scene, scenes I think there that can, make people come away with questioning their own values and, you know, actually feeling and, and becoming sensitive to the issues that we read about in the news, whether it's like you said, the, the, the children in cages, the cake, how easily people can just be racist. And, he, he literally uh, asked the hairdresser, which color is best for a racist family? And she doesn't, she doesn't yeah. even give a weird look. This, yeah. It doesn't even bat an eye. And, um, uh, you know, let me come out and say that, you know, as as two men, you and I have the privilege, I would say, of not necessarily being in fear and feeling as much fear about the Senate confirmation hearings as many women out there. And the scene where they go to the Christian clinic where he is making fun of the, oh, she has, I put the baby in her. That guy's first reaction is not to, you know, call the authorities where he may feel that this is a case where a daughter is being raped by a father because he is so pro-life that he thinks that the first thing he should care about is this life form inside her rather than the daughter being abused themselves. And right now you have this society where people out there are so pro-life that they want to take away women's right to, to determine that for themselves, even if they are a victim of abuse. And, and you hear all the time, well, that's not happening. That's not happening. Well, if anything, I hope that people think out there that there are people morally conflicted out there that if these things do go away, a lot of people's worst fears may come to life. And, and I think that as funny and uncomfortable as that scene was, it is an absolute social commentary on, hey, there are people like there, like, like this out there that if these freedoms are taken away from me uh, – I absolutely could see my worst nightmare be realized in a sense. Yeah, it's it's very telling. I mean, you know, I think he gets I, one. I want to ask you a little bit more later about just how nimble this production must have been because they obviously had to make some kind of pivot when COVID happened. This thing started filming before the oh, absolutely. pandemic, but. In other ways, it's, it, it manages to be – I don't want to say fortunately because I would much rather Ruth Bader Ginsburg have uh, – still be alive. But you know, uh, it's timely in that th- that that scene was definitely filmed before her pa- Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing, and we've had this these Supreme Court hearings going on the last month where uh, we have a, uh, a Supreme Court justice nominee who is not even answering questions about – her stance on abortion because she knows that they are, her actual views are out of step with the majority of the country, and it's kind of frightening that people that 
have such views or kind of deciding make are, are going to be in charge of making such decisions when their opinions are out of line with the majority of the country and and you know there are people that would, would probably say oh no like the supreme court would never do that who are very naive but it, what the fact is like we have states all around the country that like have passed laws that will make abortion illegal in all circumstances whether it be rape or incest at the moment that roe versus wade is repealed because Roe versus Wade being repealed would it, it would kind of revert it back to the states, and these states have like these uh, I don't I forgot what the exact word is trigger laws or kind of something like that that would just automatically go into effect the second that happened that would just actually like make even an abortion if like someone was a victim of incest as uh, the setup is in this scene in, in Borat's subsequent movie film, and it's like wow like that's really really messed up and it's 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 if really fortuitous timing on Sasha Baron Cohen's part that like that is something we're talking about now and he had the foresight to like actually like do something as like crazy as that that came from like eating the baby on a cake and he uh and he did it and it one it's like really tied to current events and very timely but two it's just a extremely well executed scene i mean he never breaks that's the incredible thing about him as a performer and i want to talk about maria bakalova as well because i mean i think he found someone that could somehow hang with him which is incredible but the fact is they they're able to go there with that and at the, and really pull that off this like whole entire abbott and costello routine and i honestly still don't know how they got the camera in there i know how they did it in some instances but that is especially incredible that they that whole entire scene came together the way it did and it's funny it's timely it's horrifying it's all of those things at the same time and i think that's like the best way you can describe uh sasha baron cohen's work yeah i'm hoping that when he eventually and and i hope it's not soon let me say that when he eventually hangs up his cape and his all his disguises that he actually lets us know you know does a podcast or something where he tells us all the secrets about how he got the camera in there and and how he exposed so and so and so but as i think you're seeing with some of even the deleted scenes of this movie that have been released, uh, you know, they were able to break white house security protocols. They were able to get access to Giuliani very, fairly easily just by disguising themselves as a friendly yes. news network. Let, let, let me ask you, let me ask you about that. Cause I'm glad you brought that up. We're not doing a spoiler scene in this movie because quite frankly, it builds to something that's already been in the news. So I don't feel the need to bifurcate this podcast at all, but that's been the thing that's like, that's broken through more so than anything is that Giuliani scene. And I want to ask you before I give my feelings on it, did that affect your viewing experience of this movie at all to like, have already kind of heard about that before you watched it? Cause I'm sure you did. You're a fairly online person such as myself to like know that the movie was going to end up building exactly towards this thing that had already been a massive news story even before the movie had been released. Did that affect your viewing experience at all? And what did you ultimately think of that part of the movie? So that's a good question. I, had watched the scene earlier and I'd read the reports, especially coming out of variety saying it didn't make him look good. And I laughed at Giuliani's unhinged denial that seemed to indicate that this was all some mass conspiracy from the far left to stop the attacks on, on Joe Biden. And I, I laughed very hard, but I did not realize like what you're saying, how pivotal the actual scene would be to the movie itself. I, I, kind of was going in with the, the naive false impression of, oh, it's going to be one of many various political gags on, on politicians. Oh, yeah. like, and it's like the framing device for the America. whole, yeah, it's a whole framing right. device for the second half exactly. of the movie. It's a whole framing device of, you know, it's, it's how Borat survives his death where he's not going to be killed in those pretty funny scenes where he's going to the fax office. It's, it's the absolute turn, left-hand turn of the movie where they can't get Michael Pence and, you know, realize that Giuliani is so, 
easy to get, it seems, because he has become so, so much more unhinged yet accessible. It, it's kind of like you have this this big mansion, in a sense, and there's a door that is always open and squeaky and loud, and anyone can sneak in, so to speak, and that, that, that's like a back door to the White House, in a sense. That's Rudy Giuliani, in my mind. The fact that this first-time, unvetted journalist, fake journalist, obviously, actress in disguise as a journalist, can get one-on-one access with the United States president's personal attorney who has security clearance to the White House, all these different things that politicians work their entire life for. The fact that it was so easy, and like I said, with the deleted scenes, they could get inside the White House as well and talk to Donald Trump Jr. and so and so and so on. That, I think, was the biggest revelation, more so whether, oh, was he creepy? Was he not? Was he talking in his shirt? Was he playing with his... I'm going to say, I, I, I don't... The bigger expose of how lax the security protocols are in the Trump White House, I think, was the scariest thing to me, because we should know already that all these guys are absolute creeps around younger women. No one has given a damn about it for the last four years, the last 20 years, whatever you want to <laughs> say, so... If Borat, too, is the one to do it, I'd be pretty freaking annoyed, honestly, if people finally started paying attention. Right. Yeah, I know. It's the biggest issue, though, is that there's a national security issue here. I think it's hilarious. I think our heads are in the exact same place. I don't know if it's because you're a journalist and I was a journalist in a former life, but I I had the exact same thought in that I saw the movie and, like, I, I, like you, I, I, I didn't actually watch any of the footage beforehand, or I didn't even know the Donald Trump Jr. thing, which is kind of even a step beyond concerning to where the Rudy thing is. But I, I saw the movie and I was like, oh, well, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt Rudy was being creepy, but like his whole thing was like, I was taking my microphone off, and you definitely see them like handling the microphone in the seconds before, and that scene is edited in a fairly choppy way. So I mean, I'm totally open as. I would not be surprised if Rudy was creepy, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he was telling him the truth because, like, all that stuff was edited very choppily. And as crazy as these people might be, the fact is there were obviously cameras in the next room. So he would have to be extremely stupid to go do anything that sketchy when he obviously knew cameras were right there. So my initial takeaway was like, wow, that says a lot about how conservatives feel about the media and that – I I saw Jake Tapper tweet the other day, Trump hasn't given me a one-on-one interview in like three and a half years or something like – it was something along those lines. And he wasn't – Jake Tapper wasn't tweeting about that in relation to the film, but I was just thinking about it as I watched this movie. And just the fact is they would – if they see someone that they see as a a pretty blonde reporter from an outlet that – such as like America – first or I, I i forget exactly what they call it in the movie but she says like oh yeah i'm with like america first news or something like that they're more likely to just give a sit-down interview with the, such a such a person without any kind of actual vetting than they are cnn and that was like my biggest takeaway it's like just in doing this whole prank and i don't even care so much about how the prank ends but it says a lot about how in this country right now you can't even really have a conversation with someone that is maybe on that side of the political aisle or someone else on that side of – let's just even say someone from that side of the political aisle isn't going to feel comfortable having a conversation with someone on the other side because you can't even agree on what like basic facts are because no one actually trusts – there's no one news source that everyone in the country trusts, and that's like – that was the more concerning part about it for me for anything is that someone from the Trump administration is going to sit down 
with someone like this unwittingly just because that's how they really view it is they'd rather uh, sit with someone that's going to say, oh, you're my, it's like I'm meeting one of my heroes. Rudy Giuliani is going to take that at face value. And that's just where we are right now with how the news covers the part, the, our political parties. And it's kind of depressing and horrifying. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, it, it absolutely is a testament to everyone who's been saying that Trump has been sowing this divisiveness the entire time that he's been a political figure, so to speak. And I, I think that anyone out there who, <laughs> I should say, is an American, but anyone out here who cares about the democratic process in this country should be concerned about that. And when it comes to the national security issue and how they treat these media sources, it is all about what media source is going to be you know, show favoritism towards the network, not question their decisions, spout off their lies. I mean, we forget that Mark Meadows two months ago said that there were going to be 100 million coronavirus vaccines available at the end of October. And you and I are sitting here November 1st. And (laughs) where are they? So, you know, I think necessarily this is an administration that hasn't done themselves any favors when it comes to how they look in the media and when even when they're trying to make themselves look good, like a situation like this, it absolutely backfires on them. And it's kind of karmic justice in a sense. When you try and play the media and try and use them, uh, usually they're playing chess in a sense and uh, have a move ahead of you. And I think that is absolutely some evidence here. Speaking of uh, Mark Meadows' comments, like just how fortuitous and lucky and how much of a gold mine does Sasha Baron Cohen hit that his timing – because, I mean, they were only going to have a very specific amount of time before they got found out at CPAC. I mean, going in with a, uh operation like that is obviously kind of like a ticking time bomb for when you're going to get kicked out. That He happened to be in there at the moment that Mike Pence made the comment, oh, we've only had a few coronavirus c- cases. We have this totally under control. I think he said something to that extent. And we're, or no, he said, we're ready. We're ready for anything. And that was yep. like in February and like that he just happened to be in there with his cameras at the moment Mike Pence said that. I mean, kudos to them for getting that out. And I mean, I, I don't know how much we need more to say about the political pranks in this movie. I guess I don't know if it means I have the humor. Uh, I have the sense of humor of a 15 year old, but I did laugh at the fact that he was able to run through CPAC in a KKK gown and not get thrown out. I don't know. I get the joke and I laughed at the Stephen Miller joke and all that. But the fact that like he just didn't get thrown out is hilarious. I don't actually think they any of those people want to be photographed with someone from the KKK. But the fact that he pulled it off and didn't get thrown out while doing that is that's just like basic logistical genius, I guess, that he was able to make that happen. And that mask, as I saw somewhere else, was basically like a Mission Impossible level quality mask. And I just got a kick out of how convincing it was. The 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 the, yeah. the, the, the Trump mask. Yeah, absolutely. That was, you know, it was almost as impressive as the stupid Fallen Laporta costume. <laughs> you know, good deal for $15 there, I got to say. I uh, That would have been a very timely Halloween yeah, costume. costume. If it was safe to go out on Halloween, that we're recording this day after Halloween, and I think people have been a little too freewheeling with their Halloween party movie going, given the current state of COVID-19. Yeah, I think so, even though <laughs> a lot of people were still out there, and I hope that everyone is uh, staying safe, safe and staying yes. healthy after that, and I can't really kind of stay away from the uh, elderly, let me say that. I, I think that uh, when you look around um, at the people who were interested in this movie, let me let me make this point real quick here, though, that you know I hope— and I say this to people all the time, you know, it's all about getting the people on the fringe. You look around at how, you know, Trump won the election. 
you know, how how he won even a state like Florida with less than 1% of the vote, you know, 150, whatever, 7,000 votes, whatever it was, mm. you know, most people have already made up their minds. And, and I, I hear what you have to say, but there are people, I, I think, who, who may still be on the fringe or even needing that final step to realize how, uh, you know, absurd the other side has been for the last four years. And maybe they're aware of how Borat shines a light on the absurdity for the last 15 years. And if he is targeting that side for the last five years, what does that say about this man? You know, I implore anyone who questions Sacha Baron Cohen's genius to go look at his speech at the Amnesty International um, conference from 2018. I want to say it was, um, it's about 20 minutes. He was the keynote speaker at, at the ADL International Leadership Convention, and you know, this, at, a year ago, and yeah, the anti-defamation speech, league, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you know. And his speech there is far and away better than anything I've seen any politician on the right say in the last five years. It was absolutely more empowering and humanistic, and in touch with society than anything I've heard. Well, I'm glad, well, yeah, so there's a few things I want to touch on before we finish. One being uh, we, didn't, we really haven't talked about the whole daughter side of this film, which I think is very important. But the other thing I want to mention is because you asked me before this, and I think it's pretty important because there's a lot of comedy involving Jews in both of these movies. And as a Jewish person, I mean, I think it's interesting how we consume that and we process it. I, I firmly believe he's coming from a good place when he does this. He, like, Sasha Baron Cohen is a Jewish man, apparently so much so that like Isla Fisher converted to Judaism before she married him. So I and he like that. Anti-defamation league speech is something that he's actually like received a lot of plaudits for, and so I think he's coming from a good place. And I, the the first movie deals with it a lot, and here, I, I don't know, I, I feel I, I feel like he has trust in his audience to know where he's coming from on that kind of stuff. I don't know how that stuff strikes you, but as a Jewish person, like I legitimately get a kick out of it. I don't know if the movie should have to rely on what we know about him as a person, but that certainly helps where, you know, someone walks into a synagogue like he does in this movie with like a fake Jew nose or he, uh, or another example of him just lulling people into, you know, bigotry is him getting the plastic surgeon to very willingly, uh, trace the outline of a stereotypical Jewish nose. Like that was just like, that was wild to me, even more so than him going into the synagogue. Uh, but like, I don't know. That stuff works for me, and I honestly think, if anything, like it's worth the payoff of like the of uh, Tutar getting on the internet and learning the Holocaust was fake, quote unquote, and telling Borat and seeing his reaction. Like that's an incredible joke. That's very economic, and how it says so much about these two characters and how they are, see the the characters themselves see the world, but also says so much about social media today. And like honestly, any kind of like Jewish humor he wanted to do, like. I feel like that was worth it for me to get that joke off. And that's just what I'll say about that. I don't know how any of that kind of stuff works for you, but I just genuinely think that like he knows what he's doing and it's like a good way to kind of call out any of the fringe portions of our society that actually really have a problem with Jewish people. And unfortunately, it's maybe become a little less fringe in the last four years. And I think he's able to subtly touch on that in a way that I think is really impressive. Yeah, subtle is definitely the key, and I, and I think that, it's not that subtle in the first movie. I mean, he has the they have the running of the is, Jew. That's fair. I think that it's it's definitely it's subtle is the key in some instances, but with every form of media, I think that you have a greater appreciation 
for it when you are familiar with an artist's full body of work or context, references to previous jokes, mm-hmm. um, aware of their ideologies, their political leanings. You know, that that stuff absolutely can help someone enjoy a piece of art more. And I think that is absolutely the case with Sasha Baron Cohen's work, because like I said, without a familiarity of all those aspects, one could easily laugh at the topical value and think that he's just picking fun or making cheap jokes. And it's a similar, that's why I said it has a lot of DNA with, with stuff like South Park and um, Nathan for you as well. If you don't realize what role they're playing and what they are commentating on, it, it can come off as mean or insensitive at, at best in a sense uh, at, at face value. I think though what Sasha Baron Cohen has done a good enough job with is his public appearances, his other acting roles have shown, I think, his his genius. If, if you watch things like The Spy, I, I'm sure you've seen Trial of the Chicago 7 this year. You know, I think it's become very clear that he is this very poignant and intelligent actor, and that makes it easier to digest a lot of his bits in Borat. Because if it was anyone else and you were uncertain of where they lean politically, it would come off as uncomfortable. And to see that Sasha Baron Cohen has built that trust with his audience and now is pushing those boundaries to also their own, the audience's own benefit so that they can see the points that he's trying to make, I think uh, is very interesting. And the audience continues to kind of grow with him over time and how his uh, commentary has evolved with the times, like you said. Yeah, I actually haven't seen Who is America. I probably should have said that earlier as you were referencing oh, it. Oh, you got to see it. You got to see it. Yeah, I think I might have seen some like mixed reviews on it. I don't currently have access to Showtime, but now that I hear you That's like it, wrong. I'm going to— That's uh, wrong. I'm going to try— I mean, and- I, Some of it doesn't work as well, but I can understand. It's kind of like also making a movie like— you know, what is it? The Comey Rule movie? It's got, you know, some people are just not going to be— I would even, and that has its own problems as well, I know. But some people just are not going to be ready to have politics trivialized, joked about, pandered to them, or made a, a laughing stock in, in this time right now. And I, and I, it didn't work as well as Borat, I'll say that. But there is some moments of genius in there. Yeah, it was more like I saw mixed, re- not great reviews from TV critics I respect on on who is America. So I stayed away. Uh, now that I know you speak highly of it, I will take the opportunity to see it whenever I have the chance. As far as something like the Comey rule that I didn't watch that for different reasons, more like that was just not a moment in time. I really felt like I would make me feel good to revisit. Uh, but as sure. far as like, uh, him having a good grasp of like what is going on in America, cause he's a Brit and he is, uh, he is not American, but that's one of the things that struck me rewatching both of these movies was that like he, he does have a really good sense of just what is going on in America in the way he, you know, asks questions to people and is so seamlessly in these situations where he's having improv. He knows the right thing to say to elicit something from these very American characters. He, he's very t- tuned in to what is going on here for someone that is not from here. Uh, so I want to ask, I guess we'll, we'll finish with this about the daughter, even though I think that's more important, but how did you think this movie handled something like QAnon? Because he just so seamlessly slips into asking these guys about Hillary Clinton drinking the blood of children. And I mean, I'm someone that like, I kind of knew the gist of what exactly QAnon's uh, conspiracies were, but I had better things with my time to, than to really read a lot about it on the internet. So honestly, even if it might've been kind of low hanging fruit, given what is 
going on and the, the way people talk about those folks in the country in this country over the last year i was still pretty struck by it and one again very impressed logistically that he was able to embed with these guys for apparently three or four days and have a camera there and get the releases and all that so i was struck by that and at the same time i was like wow like it's i think more people that are in tune to only mainstream media more so like me as opposed to going into the fringe corners of the internet they'll probably be pretty struck by this and seeing just how casually these people talk about that kind of stuff yeah first before i delve into that i gotta just tell you you know my experience with QAnon is i I think a little bit different than yours i'm pretty well versed in the crap they spew i have had some crazy conversations with really close friends who have told me that they think, and this is nuts, man. They think that woke politics are a bigger problem in America than things like QAnon. And I don't think many people are until you meet someone who actually is that drunk on the QAnon Kool-Aid and really believes all of these conspiracy theories and about Soros and Pizzagate and everything the, the you know, until you actually meet someone who fully believes that you're, th- you think that, Oh, that, that, how could anyone believe that? But if you go on Facebook, which I would never recommend anyone do, if you go on Facebook, there were thousands upon thousands of these accounts, people spreading this misinformation. And it wasn't just, you know, bots and all this stuff, but this was a legitimate problem. And before that, it was Twitter. And before Facebook, it was Twitter. And these things can thrive on Facebook. And it, they're they're absolutely scary. And well, you know what? Even more so than him hanging out with the guys that believes in QAnon, it's kind of funny because I just made that point about him, Sasha Baron Cohen, really getting what's going on in our country. There's a really quick shout out to that in the end of this movie where he's showing a montage of what's going on in Kazakhstan now. And he's like, oh, yes, now we really help influence elections around the country. And he shows, like, a white person in this Kazakhstani computer lab typing in a Facebook uh, status post, as a black man, I think Trump has a point. And it's exactly. uh, it, it, it shows and that he really, he really gets what's going on, unfortunately. Yeah. That's absolutely happening. There is evidence that that is happening in this society. And... <sighs> The the Q anon thing there you know there are a lot of articles out there about it but more and more we're finding out about people whose family members get so obsessed with these theories and believing these lies that it, it consumes them and they spend their life posting about it and to find what he spent like what five days bunking if you believe five days bunking with these Q anon conspiracy theorists I mean it is scary to think that those people have been brainwashed that badly by this misinformation campaigns and you know as people who care about journalism like we do it, it is extremely sad because it, it all comes down to the, the the freedom of the press and the first amendment in a sense and i, I think that this again if, if you can give borat any credit for these jokes it's just another stark reminder of the, the sad reality that is many people's lives and he touches on all of them hundred percent for sure again I, and i don't actually know there's that much to say about it but it's it's just incredible discipline and execution on the part of the production that he was able to go in there for that long and hang out with those guys and find people that would uh i mean i guess they got lucky they found someone that didn't know who borat was where he could stay in character for that long because that's obviously a part of this movie where he is 
a lot of this movie, he is, it's just, well, it speaks to his performance. And in a lot of this movie, he is playing Borat, playing someone else because Borat has gotten too famous. Uh, and it's just a necessity to be able to pull this off that he couldn't be Borat in every single scene. But it's still, it's still nonetheless uh, fairly impressive. I, I want to ask, what did you think in general of uh, the COVID pivot that this movie takes? Uh, did you know that they were going to like incorporate it that much into the movie as you were watching it? And what did you think when all of a sudden like that actually became a plot point? Setting aside the final 10-minute revelation, which I thought was kind of funny, but I don't really have strong feelings about, what did you think about how he, they were able to actually incorporate COVID into this movie? Well, I think it it's just in the, the, the DNA of the entire movie. You know, they're going to not I don't think they're going to pre-write the ending of the movie you know Sasha Baron Cohen has plot points that he wants to seek out that he thinks will work together and I think as you've seen there's probably a lot of improv and and deciding scenes on a whim to reconstruct these thematic elements throughout the the movie and I have no doubt, you know, you mentioned the separation of the production. I have no doubt that once they saw how this thing was really unfolding and how they could really make their political commentary and tie it back into the first one well and make it all come together, that they realized, boom, this ending kind of fell into our laps. But that is in the framework. It, it is, you know, every interview that D- Sacha Baron Cohen does is a microcosm of that movie. He starts out asking a few questions and then he lets the interview just go where it does. And he geniusly improvs and fills in the blanks and comes away with sometimes some hilarious bits and sometimes, you know, some not so hilarious bits. And I think this movie just is, is just like those interviews. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned just his improv skills because that was the last thing I wanted to talk about was that because I don't have much to add on the COVID point. I already mentioned I think it's really impressive and nimble how they do it. And I mean, apparently they didn't really obviously they didn't finish filming until the last couple months. And I think, you know, we both know enough about film production to know that normally it's like we're not the, we the audience aren't seeing a movie like two months after it's finished filming. It's normally longer than that. So it's just very impressive on a technical level like that. But as far as his improving skills, he's obviously a genius improver who never breaks and has created a lot of funny scenes playing various different characters. But this movie doesn't work in the way it does unless he finds someone that's like absolutely incredible to play Tutar. And I think it's like really impressive. Apparently they auditioned like 600 people before they found Maria Bakalova, who's a Bulgarian actress that had really not done a whole lot of stuff before this. And I, I just think... Sasha Baron Cohen's obviously a genius. We've both already probably used that term t- since we've been recording, and he's has a ge- he's a genius with twenty years of experience. So he legitimately found an actress who had no, almost never acted before that was able to hang with him, and I I think that's really important on two levels. One, just for making any scene work on a scene to scene basis, because first of all, just think about that Rudy Giuliani scene. As crazy as it is, and as we already discussed, that the, she even gets in the room with him, if she screws that up, he's not in the room for that. So she's on her own with a person of notoriety like Rudy Giuliani. If she messes that up, then and they figure out exactly what's going on, then presumably just uh, sirens go up everywhere, and they're not probably they're probably not getting in the room with anyone else, and that changes the entire movie. Just that, like, she was able to keep that going. And apparently when Rudy I, – I didn't even pay that much attention. When Rudy put out his first uh, statement about this, he thought she was still just a reporter. Like, he never figured out that she was also in on it. So that just speaks to her talent. But also just that, like, I think it works as a movie. So I've watched it twice, like I said. 
and I was prepared to come in on this second and talk about it after my first viewing about how it didn't hold together as a movie as well as the first movie. And I don't know. I honestly can't even remember why I thought that after my first viewing. Cause, and it might just be because after my second viewing, I was able to focus less on where the pranks were going and more on just everything, just the movie as a whole. And I think it actually kind of holds together as its own story with a through line aside from all the individual pranks in isolation and how it's a story about like a, a, a father and his daughter. And like, I thought it was actually very touching at the end when he says, uh, like he, he says something along the lines of you did, you were amazing when they're filming that final scene. It's like that, that could easily be like just Sasha Baron Cohen and Maria Bakalova as opposed to Borat and Tutar. And I, I found it actually pretty moving and effective as a way to tie the whole movie together with its own through line. And I think she deserves a lot of credit. And that's why I thought it was actually pretty apt to end on her. What did you think about just Graham, this movie as a whole and how it, sticks together as like as a cohesive unit and her performance yeah you know she absolutely i mean it's kind of a shame we waited to the last to talk about her because she absolutely is you can call her the star whatever but it does not work um with without her um in in any way i i think that you um you, you talk about the secrecy the movie was filmed in you know it's kind of amazing that one she hasn't had a chance at, at a comedic role before or, or anything like that, because I think that she has clear talent uh, in that regard, especially with, um, you know, the value of what Sasha Baron Cohen, his comedy, um, people seem to love it. Absolutely. So I think that that absolutely is one factor. The other one is her ability to deadpan like him, you know, seemingly in those scenes, he has 20 years of practice, if not longer and, you know, this is the first time actress who is keeping up with him, uh, you know, word for word. You know, so, so I think that that absolutely is understated. And you see the scenes early on in the movie where he is getting noticed, even wearing a paper bag, not wearing his suit. It's not me. You know, so it, it's clear that the movie, what you, whether you want to say breaks the fourth wall, whatever it is, that they realized early on that a Borat sequel wouldn't necessarily work totally with those scenes on the street without some other plot device um, to be alongside him. His disguises are more believable when someone is not in disguise alongside him as well. Right. And I'm sure they had to have like somewhat expected that to happen. And like, just because of how big of a deal that movie was. Uh, But the fact is maybe they didn't expect it to happen to that extent. So because of that, she was going to need to carry some more of these scenes on her own, or he was going to be in another character or whatever, but like it obviously worked. I don't know if you knew this because I honestly didn't know it till I re- went and rewatched, rewatched the original Borat, and I was just like on its IMDb. It got nominated for an Oscar for best original screenplay, which is like kind of incredible. That was I think that was even before the Academy uh, nominated Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder. So it was kind of cool that they like would do something like that outside the box at that point in time, and like when. Sasha Baron Cohen was as himself because he sometimes does press in character as himself. He was on Stephen Colbert the other day. He even like mentioned that he thought Maria Bakalova should get Oscar consideration, which I think would be really cool. Who knows if they'll feel like doing that and honoring like a sequel to a Borat movie with an Oscar because it's rare enough that any kind of sequel gets any Oscar love. Uh, but the fact is, it's a very thin year for movies because who knows what the movie release schedule is going to be. So maybe that'll happen, and I would fully support it because I think she's really important. And I think what's most impressive with how they do this is that, and she, I'm sure she studied him in the first movie because if you go back and watch the first movie, he is so smart about just the basic kind of questions. Like he, in the first movie, he has a meeting with the, just a feminist group, 
and he just knows the exact questions to ask to press the right buttons to get the reaction that he wants. And uh, to, let me be clear, I think everything that the character himself is saying is wholly offensive, and the, the fe- unwitting feminists that are in this um, uh, chat with him are totally right to react in a horrifying manner, but it's the reaction that he wants because he's trying to make a point about just these different kinds of attitudes, and it works, and she really picks up on that kind of improvisation so well in this and saying the exact right thing whether it be she's talking to that babysitter who i think ram and i were talking about before this uh probably she gotten paid way more than she actually did but she is uh pretty great in her own right and that she comes across way better than just just about any civilian does in any of these movies but she knows the right questions to ask about like an unwitting woman that has been taught one thing her whole life about how women are devalued in that country and that they really have no rights and no right or and should not be happy or feel pleasure or anything like that she knows the right way to get at those questions in her second language to get the reaction out of these people because she's improvising like that's a lot of that stuff's probably not in a script and she's able to just like say the exact right funny thing to get the other woman to say something like because she's asking like oh no are my uh fake breasts gonna like really help me and, and save me and, and she gets a reaction as to something like you know the other woman saying how will they protect you they titties which is just an incredible line that is not which is just from an unwitting person in this movie and maria bakalova is able to elicit that kind of response and it just shows how amazing it is that like someone with so little acting experience is able to improv on that level and i think it, the movie absolutely does not work without her because like i said it held together as its own movie for me way better on the second viewing because on the first viewing i was like there's a lot of isolated funny parts here and this the overarching theme of a father and his daughter like came together way better for me on the second viewing yeah i'll just i'm gonna real quick commentate just on that you know the, the feminist scene you know i i think that so many of these scenes, yeah, they can come off as absurd. And like you said, get that outburst, that that reaction, that vitriol at what's coming across. But they are – that's like you said, that's the reaction he wants. You should be outraged when you see a scene that is like, oh, what do you mean? Women can't drive in this country? Ha ha. Well, it, it was two years ago that Saudi Arabia and several other – you know, Middle Eastern countries finally allowed women the ability to drive on their own. So that, you know, when when the first Borat movie was made, that was more than a decade away from being changed. We are much closer to them just getting that uh, that privilege, whatever you want to call it, that right that everyone deserves to have. And regardless of their gender, sex, whatever you want to call it, I mean, that is ridiculous. And so anyone who just sees that scene is like, haha, that's ridiculous. That is a stark reality, a harsh reality for many people and was for many people until recently. And so I, I, I do think that scenes like that are pivotal reminders that what we may think is absurd in this country, oh, could never happen here, has happened recently in other areas, still happening. And talk about political messages. People have become so comfortable and naive and thinking, oh, that could never happen in this country. That could oh. – misinformation never ca- campaigns could never happen here. We could never lose all these great rights that we have. Uh, you know, They're never going to take away all these privileges that we have, and hey, wake up to that. Yeah, a lot of stuff has happened. Otherwise. Yeah, a lot of stuff's happened in the last four years we never thought we'd uh, see, unfortunately. Uh, Graham, before we sign off, any other final thoughts on Borat? You know, I hope that they make a third one. Let me say that. And I hope that it is 
some form of Tutar, you know, continuing the mission in some way. But at the same time, I'm stuck with the knowledge that if we have to make a third Borat movie, if society <laughs> 14 years is in this same stuck in the mud area, you and I are going to link back up and we're going to be pretty depressed that these same messages that Sasha Baron Cohen has been preaching for 20 years, still he has to find new ways to reiterate them to people, to make them people realize because our democracy seems to have, uh, taken gone downhill since even the first Borat movie. And if you had told anyone that back in 2006, they would have laughed and been like, ha ha ha. Don't be so pessimistic. Oh God, that is really depressing to think about because he did like say he was going to retire Borat because it was too famous, and obviously that's addressed in the, within this movie. But I think he said it like it sometime within five years after the re- release of the original. But obviously, like he felt because I mean, I think he probably holds this character sacred enough that he wouldn't come out of retirement of retiring the character unless he felt there was a good reason to do so. And unfortunately, the last five years have given him like a lot of reason to do so. So if he has another reason to come back to this character after he's now put it at such of like a, or left him again at such a, on such a, I don't want to say high note because it's, it's low notes for the reason that's even necessary to have Borat come back. But the fact is he didn't screw it up and he uh, put together a good movie and I don't want him to feel the need to do it again. But as you said, if he does, that's not great. Graham, one last thing, because you have this is the first time you've been on the podcast since quarantine. One thing we've been doing more of since we've been in quarantine is uh, when we're signing off, we ask the, the guests if they have anything else they want to share that they've been watching recently that they think would be good for listeners to check out. So has there been any movies or TV, new or old, that you've watched or rewatched recently that you want to give a shout out to? Ooh, that's that's tough, man. Because um, I can go first if you want to take a second. I'll give a shout it. out. I'll give a shout out to host. I saw host the shutter original movie that was filmed did you watch did you watch host uh no but i've heard about it a couple places i'm not a sub i'm not a shutter subscriber but i've heard some good things uh, so we did the free trial and then paid for the first month watched a few other really good movies on there like z and spiral were pretty well done in you know color out of space and mandy there's a whole bunch of ones on there that we would have rented it anyway but we watched host which i gotta say is like the paranormal activity of the pandemic in a sense where they used what they had all practical effects. You think you've seen them all. It's really well done. I, 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 I was more scared than I thought I'd be. And, and it takes a lot to scare me these days. Uh, I, I was really impressed with that, but right now we're, we're, we're watching, um, we just watched love fraud. I don't, don't, don't know. I don't, I don't know what that is. No. It's on showtime. It's a documentary series. It's, it's pretty good. It's pretty interesting, but, um, Good, oh, yeah, that's a good recommendation. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I watch horror for the podcast way more than I ever did before five years ago before I started doing movie podcasting. So I'm more open to stuff. So maybe I would do that free trial. I just don't know. I have, I have so many other streaming services. I don't know if I can like, I don't know if I will make the time, may, spend the resources on getting a full shutter subscription, but I've heard enough about hosts. And now that I know you like it, I'm more likely to check it out. I have not watched a lot of movies in the last week since I last recorded a podcast because I've been watching and rewatching Borat, but I have watched six of the seven episodes of the queen's gambit on netflix which i oh we just watched that we just started watching it we just started watching it we haven't finished it but so i haven't watched the finale but i've watched all the other episodes and i 
Highly recommend it. It is, I mean, I love Anya Taylor-Joy as an actress, and she is great as the as the lead actress as a child chess prodigy. But the everything from the movie, or everything from the show from a technical perspective is great, too. It's set in the 60s. It has great production design that evokes a real 60s feeling. It moves the camera incredibly well with a lot of really cool tracking shots throughout. And it makes chess feel super compelling, even if, if even if you only know, like, what you can do with the pieces in chess, and you don't know anything else about chess like I do. I just know what direction the pieces can move in and so you might not know whenever you see them make a move exactly what all the consequences of that are but it's still shot in such a way that is super super suspenseful and entertaining and i highly recommend it it's only seven episodes so not a huge time commitment and if you've only watched the first episode it largely takes place in the early childhood of the main character played by anya taylor joy and it which is still a good episode and it has bill camp in it but which i mean anything with bill camp is usually good but like it it, it takes off to another level after that so i highly recommend that uh okay finally grant before we go anything you want to plug your twitter or any other personal stuff podcast anything like that just yeah if you uh follow the florida gators follow me on twitter graham hall underscore sometimes i tweet about video games and movies as well uh yeah i really need to watch a lot more movies this year man you're you're reminding me that there's so many things that i have not seen this year I, I made a list initially of what i still need to watch but i mean when i look at my list man i still haven't seen ford v ferrari so many movies even from last That's year 2019 I yeah you're start watching I, I need to start watching the good lord bird you know we are we did a foreign horror movie marathon uh, a few weeks ago watched i saw the devil one caught of the dead trying to busan i i really liked all those but yeah man i gotta get caught up on on what's out there because i know there's so many good things out there well that's good because like i mean you know me being someone that in normal times would go to the movies as much as i do a lot of friends are like hey man you holding it together okay you're getting like withdrawal are you like freaking out because you can't go to the movies i'm like i'm doing fine there's plenty of stuff out there to stream so don't worry if if if, if graham as someone that if you feel like you haven't made enough time for movies because there is plenty of stuff out there for you to watch even without going to the movies and i've been very happy and content not doing something as unsafe as going to a movie theater in this current point in time uh as usual i'm josh Chernovoy on twitter j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y the podcast email is the rewind movie pod at gmail.com the twitter is at rewind movie pod so if you want to send any feedback or make any recommendations for other old stuff for us to revisit as we are still also talking about old movies in addition to new because only so many new releases so everyone stay tuned for that thanks again to graham for joining me and we'll see you next time